0: This is a patient care theory two unit nine, part one gerontology. So let's talk about old people. Very old, and decrepit. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, so uh, let's go through the stats very quickly. Basically, the bottom line is we're facing a gray tsunami as you've probably heard. Um, people are getting older. Uh, I'm actually a baby boomer, believe it or not. I'm like the last of the baby boomers so I'm anticipating that by the time I reach uh, uh, by the time I'm in diapers there'll be no uh, money left for pension and I'll be uh, living off your tax dollars so yeah so just be aware you'll be there to support me (coughs) and I expect really good compassionate care when you gotta wipe my ass you know The scary part is, you know, <laughs> it could really happen. Like, you know, I could stroke out in 15 years from now, and you'll be the one cleaning my diapers at some local nursing home. You go, you be going to the room, going, "Oh my God, what's that smell? Oh my God, it's Rob Terrio, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Wallowing in his own feces. That's it. I'm booking off." <laughs> I'm sorry, being a paramedic makes you dark. It's just the way it is. But anyway, uh, so people are getting older. And uh, if you don't like older people, just embrace it because it's coming and there's nothing you can do about it. You're gonna do 10, 15 shifts in a row without a single patient under the age of 70. So get to like old people. This is what I did. I think I told you I did something like eight shifts in a row without a single patient under the age of 70. And I thought I'm gonna lose it if I don't see a 20 year old or a 30 year old or something. And I just decided, I'm just gonna make the best of this. So, you know, I've always conversed with patients. I love conversing with patients, but I really, really started conver- conversing with elderly patients in earnest. You know, asking questions about their lives. You know, where did you grow up? You know, were you married? Do you have kids? What do you kids do? What did you do for a living? What did your wife do for a living? Blah, 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 blah. And people are so interesting. They're truly interesting. I can't tell you the number of times I've arrived at the hospital with an elderly patient, and they said to me, you know, are we here already? Can we go around the block a few times so we can talk some more? Because they don't get attention, right? They don't get, sometimes they don't get attention from the family, sometimes they don't have any family, um, and they love to talk. And you meet some interesting patients. I met, uh, I met a guy who was an engineer on the Avro Aero, if you've heard of that plane. It was the most advanced plane in the world, built by, yeah, built in Canada. <laughs> <coughs> and, uh, Uh, I met a woman who was a chemist at a time when uh, there were no female chemists, and she was at uh, one of the big universities, and um, she was just a a real, she was a a firecracker, and she was a lot of fun to talk to because she basically didn't take any crap from the sexist men in her lab, and it was just a great (coughs) conversation. Anyway, so people are getting older. (coughs) They're coming at us. Don't worry about the stats because I'll never test you on that stuff. Um, but with the elderly, uh, multiple disease is the rule. Uh, a buffet of medications is the rule. When, If you look at a blister pack of medications, that's probably your best source of information for meds as long as the blister pack contains the names of the meds. If you're looking at just a list of meds, what it'll give you is a list of meds from 2019. 2018, 2017, 2016, 2015, so you've got to watch out those lists. Sometimes those lists can be two, three pages long, but the patient's only on the top six meds, not any of those other ones, because if you've ever had prescriptions, um, the drug company, I don't know, or the the pharmacy, and I don't know why they do this, but they'll list all the meds you've ever been on, basically, in that list. So you may have been on an antibiotic six years ago, but there it is on the list. Vague symptoms are very common. Classic symptoms are often absent. Um, And patients frequently fail to relate symptoms. Um, They just, they don't know how to put it into words. And it's not because they're elderly, it's not because they have dementia, but sometimes symptoms are just vague, you know. Um, I understand you're having some abdominal pain. Uh, Yeah, can you describe it for me? Can you tell me what it feels like? <coughs> Does it feel sharp? No? <laughs> this is the kind of interaction you're gonna have, uh, guaranteed. So uh, don't get impatient. Maybe save those questions for the back of the ambulance. Um, if it's not sudden, severe, constant, it's probably not immediately life-threatening. Uh, so you got time in the back of the ambulance. Um, you could examine the abdomen. That might prompt them to tell you what it feels like. Um, uh, what else? If people put their meds in these little boxes, Uh, Not helpful because you won't be able to know you'll you'll never know what meds are on based on the Color of the meds and you can't pull pills out and start to look at you know see look for names and things like that Um, That won't be helpful. You really need a list or the pill bottles right, and you need the current pill bottles so you got to look at the dates on the pill bottles because people are hoarders and um, They'll give you a box or bag of pills and seven of them will be current. The other 18 will be from years ago. Or there'll be a mix of husband and wife meds. Um, one of the things we fill out in our EPCR is whether the meds were organized, right? Because that's, that's a, an indication of whether that patient's uh, at risk, right? For um, medication conflicts and things like that. And uh, so this is, uh, in many places, this is now an opportunity for community paramedics to intervene, to pay them a visit, or to get someone from CCAC in there to do an assessment to see if, you know, there's some issues with medication compliance, and medic- medication compliance is a big is a big issue. There's gonna be, uh, in the elderly, uh, sensory alterations, hearing, seeing, uh, and for that reason, you sometimes have to alter the way you interact with them. Um, my advice to you is always assume their hearing is good, because I <coughs> can't even count the number of times I've worked with new medics who've gone in and said how are you doing today and they just look at him like, i'm fine and so (laughs) is my hearing you know so uh, oh yeah it's great to stand back and watch that happen i know one guy i don't know what it is with this guy but this guy shouts at every older patient no matter what even when they say you know my hearing's fine he continues to shout and i'm like buddy shut up like you're driving me crazy. Uh, oftentimes these patients have fear of hospitalization. I don't blame them. It's uh, It's a festering cesspool of pathogens, right? The last thing I want to do if I'm an elderly and immunocompromised is go into this pool of, you know pathogens and uh, antibiotic resistant and uh, resistant pathogens and spend the last days of my life battling some irreversible pneumonia. So people are afraid to go to the hospital sometimes they just don't want to be a burden of the hospital. Um, they, they often call you because they start out with one problem and then another problem happened and another problem on top of that happened and it's gonna be difficult for you to sort out what was the primary problem what was the reason that led to them calling for 911 and it may be just simply an accumulation of things. Often I find it's usually one particular thing like shortness of breath and it's no worse today than it was yesterday or the day before, but it's been going on for 3 days and it's not going away and they're not sleeping at night because of it and they're just they're tired. They've reached the point where they need to go to the hospital and that's the simple truth, right? So you're not looking for some magic. Well, what happened? What made you call nine one one? Something suddenly changed? No, nothing changed. It's just uh, a continuation. It's just reached the point where they can't take it anymore. Uh, nervous system findings. So they may have they may have diminished or heightened pain mechanism. I've had patients who you touch them and they're screaming in pain, uh, or they've got uh, a mid shaft femur fracture and they feel nothing at all. They may have diminished sense. Of, the ones who have diminished pain mechanisms are often diabetics, especially um, insulin-dependent diabetics, either type one or type two. Uh, they may have diminished sense of equilibrium, so the risk of falls. Like right, falls are one of the leading causes of trauma in the elderly. Are you okay, Nikita? Are you gonna be able to recover from this? Young, okay. Um, and so. There's a lot of effort in the paramedic community t- towards trying to uh, uh, prevent injuries. By um, you, some services are going to give you a checklist where you um, look at risk of falls: is their apartment cluttered? Are the things lying around in place where they shouldn't be lying around? Are the risk of trips, uh, trips and falls, that sort of thing. Uh, they may have difficulty organizing information. The, they have. Altered temperature regulation, right? So the hypothalamus regulates our temperature. They may have uh, diminished hypothalamic um, uh, functioning. And so, uh, you know, an apartment that's sitting at um, 70 degrees might be too cold for them and they may become hypothermic. And uh, you're trying to figure out what's going on with them, and then you take their temperature and you realize their temperature is 34 degrees. So whatever they had going on, they've got hypothermia on top of that. Um, the reverse happens as well I've gone to cardiac arrests into small bungalows where there's an elderly couple and um, one guy is lying dead on the floor the other one has got a sweater on is holding herself like this and the temperature is 44 degrees inside the house and um, you're sweating profusely guys are good now Uh, they may have impaired recall of events, decreased perception, <coughs> touch, temperature, vibration, slowed voluntary and autonomic reflexes. Um, postural hypotension is very common, especially if they're on calcium channel blockers or beta blockers. Uh, so they, you know, they're sitting on the sofa, they, s- they stand up, they lose consciousness, they have a syncopal episode, and you get the call for syncope because now they've um, just had postural hypotension, vasovagal episode, and maybe they've hurt themselves falling down. Uh, Nervous system findings, so they may have um, some difficulty um, in their ability to quickly process information, make decisions. Uh, The brain atrophies with age, and this is a really important consideration because because the brain shrinks, um, there are bridging veins between the brain and the inner table of the skull, and they damage easily, and they bleed, and these patients typically get subdural hematomas from small head injuries. So any head injury in an elderly patient um, is a ride to the hospital. Any elderly, any head injury in an elderly patient who's anticoagulated, so on river roxaban or um, any one of the anticoagulants like warfarin, they've got to go to the hospital. They need a CT scan, right? Because they get head injuries and they 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 bleed um, intracerebrally. And, um, and they die hours later. I think last year, when we covered neuro, we talked about subdural hematomas in the elderly. Do you remember that um, nursery rhyme? It's raining, it's pouring, the old man is snoring. He went to bed with a bump on his head and he couldn't get up in the morning. That's a classic subdural hematoma. That's a classic oh subdural boy. hematoma. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Why did I just couldn't get up in the morning. Yeah, couldn't get up in the morning. Well, yeah. Makes a, makes a <laughs> yeah, it's raining, it's pouring. The old man is snoring. Bumped his head. Went to bumped his head. Went to bed. Couldn't get up in the morning. Yeah, no. I, no. Yeah, no. The lyrics are "couldn't get up in the morning." Yeah, but the lyrics have been changed over time to you know. The lyrics have probably been changed over time, so they wouldn't alarm kids. You know, Why thinking this sing? grandfather's dead. Why did we used to sing that? It's like the round the circle kind of song. Ring around the rosy. Yeah, all the old nursery rhymes are about we were death and we disease. We were Dumpty. So you know, it's unfortunate. All the old nursery rhymes are from the you know late eighteen hundreds, late eighteen hundreds, early nineteen hundreds. We need, uh, we need a new generation of paramedics to create some new nursery rhymes to deal, with, uh, to deal with trauma and death and newer diseases, right? Like, there's no nursery rhyme. This is being incredibly insensitive, so I'm going to pause this recording. Just play along with it. So brain atrophy is a real concern. Um, I was at, uh, do you guys know where the Fern Resort is, Aurelia? I was at the Fern Resort with my wife and my daughter. I'm off golfing while they're at the pool because that's what guys do, lazy bastards, uh, non-family sociable guys do. So that's what I was doing. And um, my wife witnesses this elderly lady. She's uh, going to the washroom and she trips and falls and she hits her head on a stair. She gets up. Lifeguard comes over, assesses her, talks to her. She refuses any kind of care. She, uh, she goes back to her room, and the next morning, uh, paramedics transported her, unresponsive. Classic subdural hematoma. Now, I didn't assess her, I didn't see her, I'm speculating, but uh, this is classic, right? Goes to bed with a bump on the head, can't get up in the morning. Mm-hmm. That's classic <laughs> subdural hematoma. The temptation to talk with the lifeguards, to give them a lesson about brain atrophy in the elderly and the risk of head injury in an elderly was overwhelming, but I resisted. It was overwhelming. Here's an example. This is a local guy here. Uh, refused to go to the hospital with the paramedics. The paramedics did everything they were supposed to do. They were thorough, they did everything to try to persuade him to go to the hospital. He refused, he died later. Hey, that's a classic. Uh, where did this happen so um, the bump on his head wasn't that bad this is according to his wife and the paramedics had uh, addressed the small cut he just wanted to get home classic documents also show paramedics explained to Jim the risks involved with refusing to go to the hospital that he could have a head injury and if left unattended could be very dangerous Um, he didn't want to go to the hospital paramedics couldn't force him to go So they were absolved of any wrongdoing. They were very thorough. If you want to be extra thorough, you can call a base hospital doc and get a base hospital doc to talk to patients. Some research has shown that uh, when patients are in contact with a physician, sometimes the physician is able to persuade them. And I've done that too, where where I was genuinely, genuinely concerned for that patient who really, really needed to go to the hospital. And then I've got some backup, right? But at the very least, uh, you're gonna call a supervisor (coughs) in, right? Get the supervisor to try to help try to recruit family, get the wife try to persuade them, get the grandkids on the phone if you have to. Um, that's what you gotta do. A few minutes after they got in the door, Jim began talking nonsense, then collapsed on the bathroom floor and Mary Ellen called for another ambulance. And he died. True story. Just a few years ago in this area. Yeah? And then similar to what happened. Yeah, Natasha Richardson, exactly. She had a, she's not elderly, she wasn't elderly. She had an epidural hematoma, right? And she refused to go to the hospital and uh, died later. So um, the cancel call is your most dangerous call in terms of litigation. And so uh, you can't just accept, uh, no, I don't want to go to the hospital. You have a legal obligation to inform the patient of the risks both accepting or refusing to go to the hospital. And uh, not just, you know, seizure, coma, death, it's gotta be what you anticipate could happen. And um, and also uh, ensuring they understand that uh, if anything changes, they need to call 911, um, they should call you back. If he had gone with the paramedics. What's that? If he had gone with the paramedics, what would they have done with the hospital? They probably would have, they probably would have done surgery, right? So his level of consciousness, dropped off fairly quickly, so they probably would have intervened and done surgery right away. So what happens is, remember, like we talked about last year, when you have an intracerebral bleed, there's limited space in there, right? Your brain is trapped in this bony box. And so you've got cerebral spinal fluid, blood, and brain matter. And when bleeding occurs, the brain starts to shift in one direction eventually starts to funnel downwards. And once it funnels downwards, uh, you know, if the brainstem goes through the foramen magnum, it cuts off all vital signs. So uh, at a local hospital, they might do a craniotomy to relieve the pressure and then transfer them to a neurotrauma neuro uh, trauma center, where they can get that bleeding under control, so. So yeah, he may, well. Have. Now, here's something you're gonna encounter commonly in the elderly patients. Try to finish this off in five minutes. Delirium. <coughs> delirium is very common. And it's just little things that cause delirium. So de- delirium is an acute confusional state. So you're often going to get patients who have dementia, have Alzheimer's, but they're a little more confused than normal, that's the report you get from family or from uh, nursing staff, right? Uh, They've got, but they're a little more confused than normal. That's delirium, and uh, can develop in hours or days, they have disorganized thinking, disorientation, they may be agitated, they may be fearful of you and going to the hospital, they may be hyperactive or hypoactive. Uh, it's often reversible, it's usually some, um, so there are a whole bunch of different causes of uh, delirium. Let's just go through them quickly. So just read through these um, for future reference. So uh, hypoxia, tumor, head trauma, stroke, post states, post-seizure, right? Infection, infection is most common. I see elderly patients with urinary tract infections, they get delirium from a UTI, delirium. There you go, amazing. (laughs) (laughs) UTI and delirium. (laughs) See, that's cool. What do you mean, whatever? (laughs) Oh, you forgot to include him. (laughs) Exclusion (laughs) is (laughs) a form of bullying. (laughs) Um, Cardiopulmonary disorders, causes of delirium, Uh, shock states, MI's, MIs, imagine an MI, causes delirium. Interesting. Congestive heart failure, cardiac arrhythmias, respiratory failure, metabolic disorders, liver failure, liver failure, common... Uh, hepatic encephalopathy is very common. We're liver failure. They have circulating toxins, it affects the brain. They may develop an uh, inflammatory process or just a malfunction of the brain. Um, I have to tell you about my uh, encephalopathy uh, Hulk Hogan call sometime. Uh, anemia, shh. Hyperglycemia, reversible. Check the blood sugar, any altered mental status, check the blood sugar, hyperglycemia, acid-base imbalances, fluid electrolyte imbalances, other include medication use, misuse, abuse, sepsis, sensory deprivation, uh, infectious disorders of any cause, alcohol, psychiatric disorders, uh, dementia, Alzheimer's, (coughs) Parkinson's, uh, and I think we'll stop there, because it's getting late. Can't be that many. Yeah. There's yeah. only like five left. I think it also lost it. so Like yeah. <laughs> fine. 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 Fine.